0: Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, today in our Bible story, we've got some high drama, a bit reminiscent of other high dramas that are a part of our cultural storytelling. I give you a part of the trailer for High Noon. How many, have seen, how many have seen High Noon at one point? Yeah, classic. Well, in our story today, Elijah is more than a little bit like the Gary Cooper character in High Noon. He's seriously outnumbered as he challenges King Ahab and all his temple prophets to a showdown between, who, between King Ahab's God, Baal, and his own God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Okay, let's set the stage for this showdown. Who was Elijah? Who was King Ahab? And who was the god Baal? Elijah, we'll refresh your course here, was a prophet of God. And prophets were often a lonely voice in the wilderness, so to speak, reminding others, usually kings and powerful people, that they have gone spiritually and morally astray. Their message closely aligns with Jesus' words much later. They did not typically have official positions because they were anything but yes-men who said what the king wanted them to say. So, sometimes prophets were literally running for their lives, as was the case with Elijah, as they challenged kings and wealthy folks to remember, in particular, uh, the poor and the marginalized. To remember the God who brought them out of slavery and into freedom. This is why King Ahab, in our very first verse today, refers to Elijah as a, quote, troubler of Israel. Well, who's the real troubler here? We'd like to know. Elijah was holding all of them accountable, and the king didn't like it one bit. Needless to say, Elijah was a rather tough individual. He was a survivor. King Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, so he shared the same religious heritage with Elijah. However, King Ahab's wife... Anybody know who King Ahab's wife was? Yes. To the man in front, you win. Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, was a very strong proponent of the local religions in the land of Canaan, and the god known as Baal was the supreme god in Mesopotamia. King Ahab took his wife's lead and established Baal worship, along with, count them, 450 appointed Baal prophets in his court. Jezebel was actually responsible for killing virtually every prophet of Yahweh, the god of Israel, just to appease Baal. And what did it gain them? Well, for starters, and as a part of the setting for this story, a terrible, terrible drought, life-threatening. Now, this drought in itself was curious because Baal, the god of the local culture, was the god of fertility. Yet the earth was not being very fertile at this time of the story. Related to fertility, Baal was also the god of thunder and rain, but there had been no rain for a long time. Sometimes Baal is plural, as in Baals, you may have noticed in the text, because this was a polytheistic culture. So Baal was the god of all kinds of things. Here are two pictures of likenesses of Baal. The first is an ancient drawing depicting Baal as a menacing bull with a child sacrifice. Pretty scary. Here's another one, uh, an ancient figurine where he looks... He looks like a, looks like a man uh, and a cast member of Saturday Night Fever. I don't know, like he's just ready to dance. Baal was also the god of human fertility, all kinds of fertility. And as such, Baal worship often resulted in things like temple prostitution and abuses of sexuality. The worst thing about Baal worship is when followers believed that firstborn children must be sacrificed to appease Baal. Or when people believed that if they harmed themselves physically, they could win Baal's favor, uh, favor, as we saw in our story today. Part of the truth of false gods that every one of us uh, has to face because we're all faced with false gods in this world is that they don't actually help us or our neighbor. False gods do not seek the common good, which is why the God that one chooses then and now is really, really important. Elijah, the troubler, had a message from God. Demand a contest with King Ahab's presence and cooperation. A contest between God and the Baals, with all of Israel gathered there. And following this little demonstration of God's power, God would usurp Baal's role as the god of rain and himself bring rain to the land, thus ending the drought. Now, this was certainly high noon. So there Elijah stood as one of, uh, uh, as the lone the lone prophet of Yahweh facing an unsympathetic crowd, 450 Baal prophets from Queen Jezebel's court, and quite possibly his own executioners. Pressure is on. This looked like the worst worst mismatch since David and Goliath, huh? and quite a bit worse than Gary Cooper and the four bad guys. And where was this showdown held? Not at the O.K. Corral. But at Mount Carmel, do you feel the limelight? Do you feel we're in the limelight today? Do you feel it? Here's a picture of uh, the real Mount Carmel in northern Israel. Not a high mountain, part of a part of a mountain range about forty miles long, and this was about fifteen hundred feet maybe above uh, the surrounding plains. Mount Carmel also was at that time a symbol of two things. I bet you didn't know this: a symbol of beauty and fertility, as as this picture uh, suggests to us. And assuming there was some kind of historical showdown up there, here is a view that those who assembled might have seen as they walked up the mountain from the backside. Interestingly, Elijah first tried to avoid the showdown he wanted a chance to simply face the people and challenge them to choose the God that they would follow, Baal or Yahweh. So Elijah looked at them and he said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If it's Baal, then follow him. This was followed by crickets. Elijah moved on to plan B. Okay, then let me demonstrate which God is real and which one is a pretender. You offer up a bull on your altar, and I'll do the same on my altar. Let's see which of our gods brings fire to burn the offering. Prophets of Baal, you go first. And here the prophets of Baal call upon their God, but despite their continuous and ever-mounting tortured pleading Baal produces not one spark. Elijah then, in one of the more more entertaining sections here, taunts the prophets, suggesting uh, that Baal must have fallen asleep, so they should try to wake him. Or maybe, Elijah suggests, Baal has wandered away and is now currently busy. Now, I want to put this as delicately as I can, but the expression that gets translated as wandered away, Ralph, you already know this, don't you? Is best understood if you imagine being on a hike with some people and one of you has to wander away for a few minutes. Yeah, this is mockery of the highest order. Okay, so Elijah is not a poster boy for how to conduct interfaith dialogue, but he is one heck of a stand up comedian. And his merciless comments, uh, as comedy often does, unmask the fraudulent. And in this case, the god Baal and his followers. Well, now the Baal prophets even get loud. They play right into Elijah's hands. They get louder as they try to wake up (laughs) Baal. They even try to summon Baal by violently injuring themselves in sheer desperation, as Baal prophets sometimes did. But all this was to no avail. Now it's Elijah's turn. He gathers up 12 stones and uses them to rebuild the historic altar on Mount Carmel that had been destroyed by Ahab and Jezebel. The 12 stones, of course, symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. A reminder to the people who were gathered there that this is who you are, you guys. Whether you know this or not, this is your God that we are now calling on, the God who gave you life, and who gave you a name, the God who freed you from slavery and brought you to this land flowing with milk and honey. This is the God who does not ask you to hurt yourself to get God's attention or to offer child sacrifices to appease him. This is the God of love who listens to you and responds to you, as Allison reminded us in her children's sermon. That's God's character here. God responds. so Elijah then drenches his altar uh, uh, and and wood with water. And then he says a prayer acknowledging uh, that God himself commanded Elijah to orchestrate this event in order to change a few hearts. And God then sends a fire so hot that it not only consumes the offering, but the wood, the water, and even the 12 stones That's a hot fire. As a result, all of the people fell on their faces and said, The Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. And soon thereafter, the clouds grew dark and the rains came just as God promised. The drought was over. Thus began a revival in Israel as hearts were indeed turned on that day. So, what does this mean for us? It matters what you believe and who you follow. Don't be careless about such things. On that day, the people reconnected to the God who had shaped and guided their story for generations. The God of Abraham, Moses, and David. Not the God who can be bought by human sacrifice self-mutilation brothers and sisters in Christ remember what story you're in remember the God of your forefathers and mothers or as we might say today the saints who have gone before us people who God himself declared and made saints through the person of Jesus Christ This is the God who unites us with our loved ones for all time, who reminds us that in the end, life is victorious over death, and this is all pure, unmerited gift to us, mediated mediated to us through Christ. It is important that we know who this God is, that we know our story, that we learn we ask questions not all depictions of God are the same out there in the spiritual marketplace including other Christians who make Jesus into someone that Jesus is not in my estimation it matters what God you believe in and in closing if this story seems too dramatic and fanciful to relate to, too different from your mundane life. Well, consider where we are today. This is Mount Carmel right here, (laughs) and stuff happens at Mount Carmel, doesn't it? I think the story tells us that God's power shows up at this altar behind me, and in your lives as well, because we are the saints that God has declared to be saints. Thanks be to God. Amen.